Careers of Danger and Daring by Cleveland Moffat. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 3, The Pilot, entitled, Now We Watch the Men Who Shoot the Furious Rapids at Lachine. Would you see the most skillful pilots in the world Men who know all the tricks with ocean liners and Indian tricks as well, who fight the rush of 70-foot tide in the Bay of Fundy, or drive their frail canoes through the furious gorges, or coolly turn the nose of their thousand-ton steamboats into the white jaws of the rock-split rapids where a yard either way or a second's doubt would mean destruction, or hitch long housers to log rafts big as city blocks. The lumber in a single raft may be worth a $100,000, or swing her down a tumbling waterway hundreds of miles with a peril at every one and land her safe. If you would see all this, go to the wonderful St. Lawrence, which sweeps in wide and troubled reaches from the Great Lakes to the sea. Of course, I do not mean that any one man can do all these things. That would be asking too much. But each in his own line, half-breeder Indian or fur-bundled voyager, has such quickness of eye, such surety of the land, that you would be glad to watch the rafters on their rafts and ask no more of them, or the canoeists at their paddles, or the big craft pilots at their wheels. Let us stand on the long iron bridge that spans the St. Lawrence just above Montreal, the very place to study the river as it narrows and runs swifter for the smashing plunge through yonder rapids to the east to the dreaded Lachine Rapids, whose snarling teeth flash white in the sun. Look down into the greenish rush and see how the waters hurl past these good stone piers, sharp-pointed upstream against the tearing winter ice. Here goes the torrent of the Niagara and the inland ocean of Superior and Erie and Ontario, all crushed into a funnel of land by this big island at the left that blocks the flow, and gorged by the inpour of the Ottawa a few miles back that brings down the floods of southern Canada. As fast as a horse can gallop runs the river here, and faster and faster it goes as the long slant takes it ten, twelve, fourteen miles an hour, which is something for a river, until a dozen islands strewn across the funnel's lower end goad the rapids to their greatest rage. Here it is where they kill. Then suddenly all is quiet, and the river, after its madness, spread to a triple width, rests in Montreal's placid harbor. Standing here, I think of my first experience in shooting these rapids. It was one of the large river boats, and I must confess that it gave me no very thrilling sense of danger. There were two or three plunges, to be sure, at the steepest part, and little swaying or lurching, but so far as movement goes, nothing disturbed one accustomed to the vicissitudes of ordinary trolley car navigation. However, when I came to the reason of this fairly smooth descent, and saw what it means to stand at the wheel through the treacherous channel, I found my wonder growing. I thought of the lion tamer, whose skill is shown not so much by what happens while he's in the cage as by what does not happen. A hundred years there are of doing the wrong things with one of these boats, and only a single way of doing the right one. For four miles the pilot must race along squirming, twisting, plunging threads of water that leap ahead like greyhounds and charge its crookedness somewhat from day to day with wind and tide. And that thread alone is safety. Elsewhere is ruin and wreck. Instantly he must read the message of a boiling eddy or the menace of a beckoning reef and take it this way or that instantly, for there are hungry rocks on either hand. He must know things without seeing. He must feel the pulse of the rapids, as it were, so that when the mist clouds his views, or the shine of low-hung rainbows dazzle him, he may still go right. 
It's a fact that with all the pilots in this pilot land and all the hardy watermen born and brought up here on the St. Lawrence, there are not ten, perhaps not six, men in Canada today, French, English, or Indian, who would dare this peril. For all other rapids of the route, the Gallup Rapids, the Split Rock Rapids, and the Cascades, and the rest, there are pilots in plenty, but not for those of Lachine. And to use the same simile again, I saw that the shooting of these Lachine Rapids is like the taming of a particularly fierce lion. It is a business by itself that few men care to undertake. So it came that I sought out one of these few, Fred Alouette, pilot and son of a pilot, an idol in the company's eyes, a hero to the boys of Montreal, a figure to be stared at always by anxious passengers, as he peers through the window atop the forward deck, a man whom people point to as he passes. There's the fellow that took us through the rapids. That's Alouette. This unsought notoriety has made him shy. He does not like to talk about his work or to tell you how it feels to do this thing. A dash of Indian blood is in him, and with some silent, stoic Indian nature. Yet certain facts he vouchsafed when I went to his home that help one to an understanding of the pilot's life. He emphasized this, for instance, as essential in a man who would face that fury of waters. He must not be afraid. One would say that the rapids feel where the mastery is, whether it's with them or with the pilot. And woe to him if pounding heart or wavering hands betray him. The rapids will have no mercy. And there are pilots, it appears, who know the Lachine Rapids, every foot of them, and could do Alouette's work perfectly if Alouette were standing near, yet would fail utterly if left alone. Every danger they can overcome but the one that lies in themselves. They cannot brave their own fear. He cited the case of a pilot's son who had worked in the Lachine Rapids for years, helping his father and learning the river as well as a man can know it. At the old man's death, this son announced that he would take his father's place and shoot the rapids as they had always done, yet a season passed, and then a second season, and always he postponed the beginning, and with one excuse or another took his boats through the Lachine Canal, a safe but tame shortcut not likely to draw tourists. Not start him right, that father, said Alouette. Now too late. Now never he can learn him right. Why, how should he have started him, I asked. Same way my father starred me. And then in his jerky Canadian speech, he explained how this was. Alouette went back to his own young manhood, to the years when he, too, stood by his father's side and watched him take the big boats down. What a picture he drew in his queer, rugged phrases. I could see the old pilot braced at the six-foot wheel and three men in oilskins standing by him to help him put her over, Fred, one of the three. And it was hip, bass, hip, bass, meaning up, down, up, down, until the increasing roars of the cataract drowned all words, and then it was a jerk of the shoulder or head, this way or that, while the men strained at the spokes. Never once was the wheel at rest after they entered the rapids, but spinning, spinning always while the boat shot like a snake through the black rocks of the churning chasms. They used to take the boats, as Alouette takes them still, at Cornwell, sixty miles up the river, and, before coming to Lachine, they would shoot the swift Cotier Rapids, where many a life has gone. Then the terrifying Cedar Rapids, which seem the most dangerous of all, and finally the Split Rock Rapids, which some say are the most dangerous. And each year, as the season opened, Fred would ask his father to let him take the wheel some day, when the river was high and the rocks were well covered, and the boat lightly laden, wishing thus to try the easiest rapids under the easiest conditions. But his father would look at him and say, Do you know the river, my son? Are you sure you know the river? And Fred would answer, Father, 
I think I do, for how could he be sure until he stood the test? So it went on from year to year, and Alouette was almost despairing of a chance to show himself worthy of his father's teaching, when suddenly the chance came in a way never to be forgotten. It was late in the summer, the rapids being low were at their very worst, since the rocks were nearer the surface. Besides that, on this particular day, they were carrying a heavy load, and the wind was southeast blowing hard, the very wind to make trouble at the bad places. They had shot through all the rapids but the last, and they were well below the Lachine Bridge when the elder Alouette asked the boy, My son, do you know the river? And Fred answered as usual, without any thought of what was coming next, Father, I think I do. They were just at the danger point now, and all the straining waters were sucking them down to the first plunge. Then take her through, said the old man, stepping back. There's the wheel. My father, he make terrible thing for me. Too much terrible thing, said Alouette, shaking his head at this memory. But he took her through somehow, half blinded by the swirl of water and by the shock. At the wheel he stood, and with a touch of his father's hand now and then to help him, he brought the boat down safely. There was a kind of a Spartan philosophy in the old man's action. His idea was that could he once make his son face the worst of this business and come out unharmed, then never would the boy know fear again, for all the rest would be easier than what he had already done. And certainly his plan worked well, for Fred Alouette has been fearless in the rapids ever since. Have you lost any lives? I asked, reaching out for thrilling stories. Never, said he. Ever come near it? He looked at me a moment and said quietly, Always, sir, we come near it. Then he told of cases where at the last moment he had seen some mad risk in going down and had turned his steamer in the very throat of the turret and, with groaning wheels and straining timbers, fought his way back, foot by foot, to safety. Once a fog dropped about them suddenly, and once the starboard rudder chain broke, this last was all but a disaster. For they were down so far that the river must surely have conquered the engines had they tried to head upstream. Alouette saw that there was only one way to save his boat and the lives she carried, and putting the wheel hard aport for the port chain held, he ran her on the rocks, and there she lay all that night, the good steamboat Spartan, with passengers in anguish of excitement, while the Indian pilots from Kanawaga made it quite clear what they were good for, put off swiftly in their little barks, straight into the reeling flood, straight out to the helpless boat, then back to shore, each bearing two or three of the fear-struck company, then out again and back until darkness came, then out again and back when darkness had fallen. Think of that. Hour after hour, with paddles alone, these dauntless sons of Iroquois braves fought the rapids, triumphed over the rapids, and brought the land through the night and the rage of waters, every soul on the imperiled vessel. Another instance he gave, showing the admirable alertness of these Indians, as well as their skill with the canoe. It was in the summer of 1900, late in the afternoon, so heavy was the August heat that even on the river the passengers were gasping for air. Shortly after they entered the cataract, several persons saw a large man climb to the top of the water tank on the hurricane deck and seat himself there in one of the folding deck chairs. The man's purpose was, evidently, to seek a cooler spot than he had found below, and the boat was running so steadily that no one thought of the danger. Indeed, there would have been no danger had not the gentleman fallen into a comfortable doze just as Alouette steadied the boat for her first downstream leap and then brought her over to starboard with a jerk, which so effectively disturbed the large man's slumber that the first thing he knew he was shot off his rickety chair over the side of the water tank, clean over the steamboat's deck, down, splash! 
into the St. Lawrence at a point where it is not good for any man to be. He was right in the main sweep of the river, where one may live for twenty minutes if he can keep afloat so long, but scarcely longer, since twenty minutes will bring him to the last rush of the rapids, where swimmers do not live. What happened after this I have from an eyewitness, who rushed back with the others to cry, Man overboard! and joined in the reckless throwing over of chairs, boxes, and life preservers that profited little, for the man was left far behind by the steamboat, which could do nothing, and Alouette could do nothing but whistle a hoarse danger warning and go its way. A magnificent swimmer he must have been, this rudely awakened tourist, for the passengers crowded astern could follow the black speck that was his head bobbing along steadily, undisturbed, one would say, by the dangers apparently going upstream as the steamboat gained on him really coming downstream with the full force of the current, and yielding to it entirely, all strength saved for the steering. Not a man on the boat believed that the swimmer would come out alive, helpless to save. They stood there in the sickening fascination, watching him sweep down to his death. Then suddenly rang out a cry, Look! There! A canoe! And out from the shadows and shallows offshore shot a slender prow with a figure in the bow and stern. The Indians were coming to the rescue. They must have started even as the man fell. Such a thing it is to be an Indian. And with a knowledge of the rapids that is theirs alone, they had aimed a swift craft in a long slant that would let them overtake the swimmer just here at this very place where now they were about to overtake him. And at this very place where presently they did overtake him and draw him up all but exhausted from as close to the brink of the great rapids as ever he will get until he passes over them. Then they paddled back. End of Part 3 Pilots Careers of Danger and Daring by Cleveland Moffat Read by Jerry Beckert